0: Hey, uh, this is kind of the beginning of the school year. Sometimes we start, you know, the whole new curriculum, and we're we're certainly going to do that this fall. uh, We'll we'll have uh, four weeks in a series, The Lies You Believe, and then we'll do a couple weeks on technology and its influence and how the Bible will teach us how to live in that context. And then we'll celebrate 50 years of grace, 50 years of grace for a couple weeks. That'll be fun. And then we'll start heading into our holiday season with some other messages and who Grace is and where, where we think she's going and how we can play that part. Well, right now, we're we, like we do a lot of times this time of year, we read books together. Some of you might, relatively new, might wonder, why do we read books together? It actually started back when I was in graduate school. Probably the smartest guy on campus was one of our professors that said this regularly. You are a product of what you read and who you spend time with. And as the years have gone by, I have found those truths to be actually showing themselves to be real. What you read and who you spend time with. And even today, with modern technology and, and all the videos we could watch that are educational, there is still nothing more powerful than what happens to your brain while reading. Because reading is so difficult and laborious, it causes your brain to kind of stop and pause and think so what you read and who you spend time with is a significant thing. And so here at Grace, we at least once a year, we read a book together, and we spend time together growing together, going to the same place and purpose, becoming like Christ in all of our lives by changing our minds, transforming our minds. This year, the book we've chosen to use is called The Lies We Believe, The Lies We Believe, Ten years ago, I one of the reasons we chose this book. Ten years ago, I was at a an international preaching conference at Gordon Conwell in Boston, and one of the keynote speakers said, "Listen, before I even get started, I need to tell you guys this. You want to change your pastoring? You want to change your preaching? Read this book." Holds it up, Chris, Dr. Chris Thurman, "The Lies You Believe." Like I know that guy. I've seen the guys in in like in a bathing suit. It wasn't even pretty, but I that's how well I know him. Like, ow! He wrote a book that powerful. And he's actually rewritten the book. And Chris, Chris, Dr. Chris Thurman attends this church, and he's been attending for quite some time. And he's going to join us today. Come on up, Chris. Been a, attending since nineteen ninety one. Nineteen ninety one. So uh, have a, have a seat. And, and Holly, Holly's in the booth. She's works. She's working the camera today. Say hi to Holly. You you talk to Holly. Uh, why did, you, why did you write this book 30 years ago? Let's start with that. When I began
1: in the field of counseling, I was especially interested in how faulty beliefs uh, <clears throat> harm your emotional health, harm your relationships. And so an opportunity came up to write the book. I'm not a writer by gift or talent, but the opportunity came up. And so the initial impulse was my sense of conviction, really, that how you think is everything, and that if you're not telling yourself the truth every day, if you're not thinking the right thoughts, uh, your life is not going to be any, any kind of abundant existence. So that was the motivation for writing it initially, was to um, put something out there that people could turn to that would help them see what the faulty views are, what the right views are. And then uh, work on the rest of their lives, trying to renew their minds.
0: Sure, change your change your mind, change your life. And then, and then you, uh, I think you stumbled upon a quote from A. W. Tozer that might like, put it in a in a sentence for you. Your whole life calling, in some respects, right?
1: Yeah, I was uh, working on a version of this a few years ago, and uh, I came across a quote by Tozer uh, that said. What comes into your mind when you think about God is the most important thing about you. And that hit me like a thunderbolt. I I thought, you know what, that absolutely is true. Is that the most important thing about you is how you view God. Because if you don't view him accurately, you're not going to have a close relationship with him. And you will not have close relationships with other people or yourself if you don't view God accurately. So that's the big, uh, the big issue, and most of us have a fairly distorted view of God. Sure. Uh, why did you rewrite the book? Well, I've learned a lot of things in 30 years, or at least I hope I have. Um, I saw that the anniversary of the book was still was coming, and it was still out there chugging along, and I got uh, kind of a nudge, I think. I hope it's from the Lord. I hope it wasn't my own you know, flesh wanting to redo it. But uh, I just felt it needed to be torn down and rebuilt completely uh, with the same focus. Um, so as the anniversary approached, I called the publisher, and they were incredibly supportive of me redoing it. And I wanted to take everything I've learned in 30 years and put it into the new version of the book.
0: So the new version, you like taking this to the studs? You, like, you kept the title, mm-hmm. <laughs> and the themes, and and so the old. <laughs> you added some chapters as well. Is that right? I added 12 new chapters. There are 12
1: completely new chapters um, in the book, and every chapter that made the cut from the old one um, has been completely remodeled and redone. I, I hope the content is ten times better. And when I reread the book, uh, you know, you write stuff, but you don't necessarily read your own stuff. And when I read it recently, I thought, uh, this this needs a rewrite.
0: Who is this guy? This I've seen is, him in a bathing suit. I don't know really how ugly. anybody bought this thing. Yeah. So, and then and then you wrote a workbook too with us. Tell, tell tell us about the workbook as well.
1: Yeah, I. Um, I was really hit by the challenge in the New Testament about be doers and not just hearers only. And as I did the revision, I was really uh, convicted, for lack of a better word, uh, to this book has to have a workbook. You, You just cannot write something that has people simply reading and up in their head. You have to get them out there on the playing field and get them to apply So I wrote the workbook. Uh, The publisher wasn't interested in a workbook, but I went ahead and wrote it anyways, and sure enough, I sent it to them just to say, here's what I have come up with, and they they wanted it. So the workbook is now uh, alongside, and not to try to promote it here today, but I, I really encourage people to get both because the workbook has a corresponding chapter for every chapter of the book and gets you to do some writing assignments and homework and
0: stuff that'll help you out. Right, particularly apply that to you and your maybe the lie that you might believe. It's great for the small group stuff that we do here as well. So, yeah, we, we, we're selling both those in, in the lobby. We've got a great price on them, so uh, enjoy. What's the biggest change that, you, that you've seen uh, at, that might apply to us and maybe the people that have been in the church for maybe 30 years as it applies to like the evolution of change your mind, change, change your life, and, and how that's applied?
1: Yeah, 30 years ago when we were doing cognitive therapy, um, and even from a Christian perspective, we were teaching people to figure out what the faulty view was, so get the lie surfaced. But 30 years ago, we were telling people, basically, you need to take truth and beat that lie to death. You need to dispute that lie. You need to argue with that lie. You need to pound it into oblivion. And what they now seem to understand a little bit better is that that only makes the lie more resistant to going anywhere because you're focused on it.
0: Yeah, it still gets airtime, right? It's you know, it's a crazy ex-girlfriend, ex-boyfriend that's like, I don't like them anymore. But yet here you are still thinking about them, still living rent-free in your mind and spinning, spinning, spinning because yeah. you're, you're fixating on the lie instead of, of the truth. Very easy to do. Here's a, one of my favorite passages that I've lived a lot of my life around. It says, finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is false, whatever is disgraceful, whatever is wrong, whatever is impure, whatever is ugly, whatever is dishonorable, anything that's pathetic or average, you think about such things. And I don't know about, I mean, that's, you know, that's, that's the verse of, right out of the devil's Bible that, am I the only guy in here that just goes right to those, those attributes? It is so easy for me to go right for the false, disgraceful, ugly, impure, dishonorable. And I can just just bathe myself in that sewage because I'm weird, I guess, or wicked or something. But, but the point is, is old school would, would say, find those things out and, and, you know, attack them with truth. And the way it's evolved now is saying you're spending too much time talking about and it, about that instead of what is true all along by the way the passage is this in other words the model the new model of cognitive therapy has been there all along think on the good things not on the bad things so why don't we just read this together so we'll think on the true things and kind of emphasize those words that i've bolded in that okay let's all read this finally brothers, brothers and sisters, sisters. Whatever, is true, whatever, true, whatever is true whatever is noble
1: whatever is right, right whatever, whatever is pure, pure whatever is lovely, lovely whatever, whatever is, is admirable, admirable if anything, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, or praiseworthy think, think on, on such, such things.
0: things. So that's, that's one of the major things that's changed in the, in the way we try to renew our minds is focusing on these true things, which is, which is great.
1: Yeah, I, I would add to that real quickly. Um, not only have they shifted the focus from uh, don't sit there and duke it out with the wrong view, uh, just think on what is lovely, true, pure, and worthwhile, but they also talk a lot about helping people look at their thoughts rather than through their thoughts. So another major change in cognitive therapy over the decades has been just be observant of what you think. Don't let it dictate your view of reality. It's just a thought, okay? So look at it, observe it, be curious about it. Be curious that your mind would have kicked that out. Um, but
0: don't get in there with it, right? The don't quicksand. get in there with
1: it. Don't agree with it just because you thought it. Because just because you thought it doesn't make it true. So be curious about your thoughts. Look at them, not through them anymore. Don't let them control you. Okay, that's the devil's workshop.
0: Right, and it's it's like quicksand. The more you spend in it, the deeper it gets. And again, the more minutes, hours that you spend thinking about mm-hmm. these things that aren't true. Yeah. Why do do people believe in lies in the first place? I mean, they're lies. Why believe in them?
1: Well, my own take is that uh, you got four or five factors working against you right out of the gate. Uh, The first is you come into the world with a broken thinker. Uh, Ever since the fall, people's minds have been fractured, so you don't come into the world thinking correctly. Uh, even little ones, you know, we we see them as adorable angels, and they certainly are that. But they're also, you know, prone to distort reality. You know, a one-day-old is egocentric. They are already thinking that they are the center of the universe. That is a lie. Yeah. And we have to spend 18 years trying to get them to quit thinking <laughs> that way, right? 18? 18 plus. <laughs> 25, yeah, maybe right. 46. Yeah. Uh, So you have a broken thinker, that's kind of enemy number one. Uh, You grow up in a world where you are treated a certain way, that's kind of the second issue in why you think the way you do. If you're treated growing up, not to psychobabble it, but if you're treated lovingly, if you're treated kindly, then you begin to develop thoughts that I'm worthwhile, that I'm worthy of love, that I have a place here so you develop healthy tapes if you're treated in that way the flip side is if you're treated badly you can begin to buy into the idea that you are unlovable you are worthless you are not worthy of love and the enemy just jumps all over that so how you're treated along the way another factor is the world system Uh, the world is at enmity with God the world does not think properly It's a nightmare out there for how the world thinks. I mean, the world is crazier than you can imagine. It has no sense of what the truth is. And every day it'll try to get you to buy into the next notion coming out of pop psych or New Age nonsense. So the world system is an enemy to your thinker. Um, And then you have the perpetrator. Perpetrator. Uh, I've always had not an unhealthy interest in this, but um, I've just always been struck by the scriptures calling the enemy the father of lies. And right out of the gate, he's got his first one going after Adam and Eve. Did God really say, which was him trying to get them to think God wasn't loving, that God wasn't good, that he would deprive them of this. So you got all these factors coming together that just really make it a lifelong battle where you're pushing something uphill that's really hard to uh, not get into some pretty serious trouble in your thinking.
0: Right, and, and the importance of renewing your mind, besides just being a biblical command, it's, it's advice in that it is the means of experiencing the abundant life. You cannot experience, Jesus says, I came that you might have life and have it abundantly, fully, extravagantly, and not necessarily in prosperity, but just the fullness of what a human soul is, is to enjoy and experience. But you can't get there dragging lies around. And so transforming your mind is a part of that, but also in fighting the enemy himself right? You, I think the, one of your phrases is garbage in, garbage out. Tell us what that means.
1: Well, it's a, it's a widely used phrase in my world of counseling. Um, let me shift to kind of a different way to say it. Uh, I'm not a farmer, but it's my understanding that when you plant corn, right, you don't get watermelon.
0: We're keeping up with you. Okay. <laughs> okay.
1: I know that's a brilliant insight, but uh, you're welcome. You don't need to slow down. (laughs) (laughs) So (laughs) when you plant corn, you get what? Corn. Corn. All right. Well, the same is true with thought, okay? If you plant a lie, if you tell yourself a lie, you're going to get what lies produce. You're going to have more problems emotionally with depression, anxiety, anger. You're going to have more problems relationally. Uh, Your relationships are going to be messed up. Uh, Your relationship with god So fundamentally garbage in garbage out as a man thinketh so is he And that's why scripture is talking all the time about think on what is true, which we're going to get to but um, you know the good stuff in the good stuff out Now that's not promising you uh, A lack of emotional pain emotional pain is not a sign that you're thinking wrongly You're supposed to be depressed when you lose a loved one. You're supposed to be angry when unrighteousness happens. But the truth will set you free from toxic emotions and toxic relationships. So it is garbage in, garbage out, and the enemy loves to take advantage of that.
0: Right. Let's, and let's talk about in our conversation uh, preparing for this, you talked about uh, mental thought strongholds, um, mm-hmm. I guess a- applying all the sources of lies, how they can compound and we find ourselves in a stronghold, kind of bound by a thought loop that won't stop? Talk, talk to that. Yeah, most of the time when we think about strongholds, we think about
1: behavioral strongholds, right? You're, in, you're kind of in the grips of a certain behavioral sin. Uh, but in my understanding of Scripture in this area of the renewal of the mind it's just as clear to me that it can it talks about mental strongholds is that you can be in bondage to a way of thinking and that it can be however constructed brick by brick it can be what has you addicted to it almost i think we can almost be addicted to a way of thinking that we just return to it over and over because we don't think it's wrong or we don't know any other way to think uh, I've spent my life in in bondage to perfectionism that, that's one of my mental strongholds is I just think perfectionistically and it absolutely ruins you as a human being because you walk around self-condemning anxious all the time about trying new stuff um, depressed and so it's a, an important thing to realize. You can be in bondage to a thought. You can be mm-hmm. in bondage to a particular belief.
0: Right. And I think some some adequate diagnosis on this. Like, what, what is your stronghold? Is my afterthought. I, I I could use a little perfectionism in my life. Um, uh, so I've heard that about yeah, you. By yeah. The way. Yeah. But yeah, but it's not about me today. So let's talk about more like. <laughs> no, let's talk about yeah. you. I, I'm enjoying that but if you if you think about this, you know uh, i 'm looking at the four why do people believe lies, and you said we're bent that way. what if you 're bent towards this belief that that God is not loving and then I just had a conversation with a man that like did the homework and he said. Yeah. And then uh, I was abandoned by my father as a child and thought, you know, I can't be loved by a father. Well, it's very easy to project that towards God, the father, right? We use that phrase. It's supposed to be an endearing title, father, but for many people, it's not. So I feel like God doesn't love me, right? I've experienced my father does not love me. Then he makes a bunch of choices, that are self-fulfilling prophecies, mm-hmm. he is not worthy of love, and then the devil's in there just saying, told you, yeah. told you, ya, told you. And so, that wouldn't be a thing for me, but that's a stronghold for him because of the compounding effect of the influences over tw- He's four decades now. He was 40 years old, and he's going, I've, I'm, it's not working anymore. Uh, I can run on the energy of anger and get things done, but I can't have relationships with that energy source. And so he's like, I have to transform my mind. But it's, it's a long-term stronghold issue that will require a spiritual event, perpetual spiritual events in his life, and he's realizing that. So that's, that's a stronghold. That's what it looks like, and that's how we deal with that. The cost of lies in our lives, particularly, and one of the reasons you went into the field that you did is almost... most significantly is in relationships.
1: Yeah, I think uh, 30 years ago when I entered the field, I was a little, this will sound weird, but I was a little too focused on emotional health. Uh, And I think what I didn't see for a while is that lies are all fundamentally aimed at torpedoing relationships. That's the main function of a lie from the enemy, a fiery dart. So the cost of faulty beliefs is your relationship with God is damaged. If you don't see God for who he is, you can't have a healthy closeness with the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Uh, It'll cost you healthy relationships with other people. You cannot possibly have healthy, intimate bonding with others if you're believing things that are not true. And thirdly, it'll cost you a relationship with yourself. Um, most of us do not have a healthy relationship with ourselves. We're, we're down on ourselves way too much. We're self-condemning. We're self-hateful. Uh, so the enemy is really good at, in his efforts to kill, steal, and destroy, but I think his main target is relationship. He's anti-relational, and that's why the two greatest commandments are about relationship love God and love your neighbor as yourself. So that's his big target is, can I sift people at the relational level? Because then I've got the whole thing handed to me.
0: Sure. What would be what maybe in your experience is the most common lie about the nature of God?
1: Yeah, I know all of us or most of us intellectually know this is a lie, but if you're like me, you still believe it, that God's love can be earned.
0: It must be earned.
1: It must be earned yeah. that somehow your behavior has anything to do with the love of God is a, a common lie among believers. Yeah. And if you're like me, when you sin, you actually think the love of God has been dented. Right. You think it's been lowered. And when you're behaving yourself, you think you've raised it. And the love of God has nothing to do with you. Yeah. It's a quality of God. Right. He
0: is love. Yeah, it's a choice, right? right. So. So, well, it's, 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 clearly it's common because even in the book of Galatians, these are believers. It says, you foolish Galatian, who has bewitched you? I'll tell you who's bewitched him, right? Uh, what, what you began in the Spirit as a miracle gift of mercy, are you now perfecting in the flesh? So right, right after the church got started and people understood, I am saved by grace alone, they go, great, now I'm going to keep earning his, his affection, I'm in the family. That's a gift. Now I have to be the good son by earning it and stay there. So it's, it's clearly this, the, the, the culture, the, the church was or the, the heretics were promoting this. The devil feel, you know, fuels it. We want to go that way by nature. We, we just have contempt towards that great of love f- towards us. What, what's, a, what's a lie that people feel quite often towards others? Well, this one will not be
1: well-received, but let me go after all of us for a minute. Everybody, everybody in this room feels entitled to others loving you. And that is absolutely an unbiblical view. There is not a person in this room, me included, who does not have entitlement issues when it comes to people. And if you're like me, you walk around the planet feeling entitled to love, kindness, support, affirmation appreciation affection you are not entitled to those things those are god-wired wants inside of you and it is legitimate for you to want them to be met but if you approach other people with an entitlement attitude you got two things coming your way and they're both bad when you get it you're not going to appreciate it because that's what you expected that's what you felt you were owed and if you don't get it, you're on the express train to bitterness, resentment, contempt, and unforgiveness toward people. That's the enemy. That's spiritual warfare. Mm-hmm. So entitlement is a big ticket item in this day and age. And I see our world getting even more entitled uh, to what it thinks
0: uh, it's uh, deserving of. Sure. And then what with the lie that we believe about ourselves is quite common?
1: Uh, well,. Uh, I'll just go back to the one that I think I have struggled with and that a lot of people do is uh, I have to be perfect. I I just have to be perfect as if you can be. Um, You know, to err is human, and it is a fundamental lie from the enemy that you can be or should be perfect. Uh, Now, we don't want to go the other route. There's a a phrase that I like, to err is human, but if your eraser wears out ahead of your pencil, you're overdoing it. Yeah. <laughs> so you don't want to go either extreme. You can't be perfect, but you don't want to be a sloppy mess while you're out there. Mm-hmm. You're called to excellence in Christ. That's the healthy biblical middle.
0: Mm-hmm. Well, give us some tips for developing a mind for Christ. So why don't we start off by what do you believe is the goal? If someone says, okay, the mind for Christ's what is the end game of that? In other words, what, what maybe single attribute that we could appeal towards and set our, our guidance in yeah. direction towards? Well,
1: I'm really glad for the rewrite opportunity for many reasons, and this is one of them. When I wrote it 30 years ago, I did not see this, and it was glaringly bad not to see it. But when I was doing the rewrite, it hit me what is the mind of christ what what is that referring to and what i got led to was that it's a mind of humility that's the mind of christ it's a mind of humility that's the fundamental attribute of the mind of christ is that he came out of heaven and took human form was humble that he serves not to he came here to serve not to be served that's incredibly humble when you're the co-creator of the universe so the mind of Christ, the 30,000-foot view that I would want all of you to have is it's a mindset of humility, and that's why arrogance and pride are so offensive to God.
0: Right.
1: That's when you're getting over your skis, that you would stomp around the planet being arrogant and full of yourself and not practicing biblical humility, which is not thinking more highly of yourself than you should or more lowly of yourself than you should.
0: Sure. It. I mean, it's achieved... I guess one of the signs that you're doing well is is the idea of self-forgetfulness where you're just doing things because it's what the Lord is leading you to do and you don't even find yourself being in the economy of whether you get paid back or appreciated or whatever you don't even you just just living life Those, those are great moments when those happen and uh since it is such a high ambition there's the longevity of the process speak to that
1: yeah the longevity issue um Far too often, you know, you'll have clients come in that want to snap their fingers and kind of FedEx exit, you know, get there overnight, and it's like, no, nah, that, that is not going to happen. The thing I'll tell them frequently is, you need to think about this as digging the Suez Canal. This is a to-the-grave issue, and that is why Scripture says, do not grow weary, okay, press on to the mark there are a lot of verses about perseverance in scripture so this is a laborious thing and i think a lot of times the enemy is glad to take advantage of our laziness Uh, there's a fundamental laziness in all of us Um, and that's true in terms of um, overcoming a faulty tape deck um, so we really have to put our hand to the plow and stay at it and just not let the enemy knock us off uh, the path.
0: Well, sure, and fatigue can make cowards out of all of us. Uh, that It's a part of the, the difficulty of life sometimes. And the spiritual disciplines are the activities that would be helpful in the renewal of the mind. Let's talk about those. First one would be study. And by study, we mean study the Bible. And studying the Bible here, I would say, is is not just what it says, but what it means. And and you, I would, I would suggest that the best investment that you could make in your spiritual life is to buy a very good study Bible. The NIV Study Bible is one of the best sellers, and there's and there's plenty of good reasons why. It's one of the It's a, a study Bible is one where it has the script up here that's wholly written, and then underneath it's got it has commentaries about what what that might mean culturally looking for maybe shame or power issues or even translating words of measurement just so that you better understand what what God is trying to communicate in the story or in the truth about what his nature is because and then and so that's you're studying the passage right and you're finding out what it means not just what it says and then and then it has authority that truth has authority what i have found it's interesting that that we find what the truth is, and then we get to we feel like we have the ability or the power to say, uh, oh, I like that one, or no, I don't like that one. That's not how it works. It defines what is right and real and true. There's plenty of passages that I don't understand and probably never will. That's okay. It's the passages that I do understand that bug me, and those are the ones I need to stay with. I was at a pastor's conference one time, it was a prayer conference, and we all read a psalm together, and the last two verses were pretty harsh. It was about God's justice. And collectively, everyone was like, oh, yeah, I don't like those. Maybe they don't apply now. And I was like, hey, God wrote it, you know, in the, from the pen of David to, you know, my ear and eye that we believe. That's, that's what justice looks like. Well, God is compassion. That's compassion. If you define compassion differently than those last two sentences, you're believing a lie. You don't like the way God shows compassion because you think you're the standard of that. So, whatever the Bible says, and you know it to be true and clear, then you have to submit to that. That's what the study part means. And then the second, the second thing that you pointed out is meditation. And meditation is, is what? You,
1: well, I got in trouble last time for saying it this way, but... Maybe you could clean up your language a little bit, so... <laughs> just. Meditation is uh, basically chewing on God's Word. Let's just leave it at that. It's, uh, study is the acquisition of knowledge. Right. Study to show thyself approved. Okay? Meditation is I'm going to run it through my mind in a contemplative, meditative way so the Holy Spirit has more time to do something with it and to get it from my head down into my innermost being. So that's meditation.
0: Right. And I, I have found a lot of times with people want to know about meditation as though it's a new thing for them. Oh, but how do I meditate? And, and where do I meditate? And I, you know, I've never been really good at meditating. I get distracted. And I would say, you meditate all the time. All the time. I meditated all the way to work this morning. I was watching the sun come up. And you know what I was thinking? whatever was a lie, whatever was unwholesome, whatever was, you know, despicable, I, I'm already meditating. It's being aware of what you're sloshing around in your mind and whether it's true and right and real, whether it's wholesome and whether it, the, the list that we had in, in Philippians 4 that we'll look at in, in two weeks. But I, I think we meditate more than we, we maybe acknowledge. It is the constant simmer of thoughts in our head. It's, the issue is, what are you choosing to allow to be on that burner? So we study, and then we, we constantly stop ourselves. I've changed. I've, I don't listen to the radio I used to listen to. I listen to classical music. It's very good for your soul, and it, it kind of causes me to go back to whatever is beautiful, whatever is joyful. So that's meditation. Study meditation and then prayer. How is prayer involved in the transforming of our, and renewing of our minds?
1: Well, it's, um, you are more scholarly and studied than I am about these practices. But um, I, I was struck uh, recently about uh, you don't receive because you don't ask, Chris. You don't ask. You don't come to me and you don't ask. So to me, prayer is just an incredibly honest dialogue with God. God where you are telling him what you would like, and if it is consistent with his will, he will be delighted to help you get there. So to me, prayer is going to him, putting honestly what is on my heart for how I'd like to grow and develop and treat people better and all that, but it is also asking the Holy Spirit to empower it because if you're like me, you do way too much Lone Ranger stuff you're in your own power and that does not get it done my power to renew my own mind is like trying to power a cruise ship with a d battery okay it cannot do it so i ask the holy spirit every day would you please help me to think about this stuff would you help me to more uh, derive from it more of the nutritional value of truth Would you help me to go from my head where I believe God loves me unconditionally to it being true in the innermost being? So I I know you know this, but don't don't do things in your own power, okay? It's just not sufficient. God has to be the one to supernaturally empower the renewal of the mind.
0: Right. when it comes to renewing our minds, and we're, we're, again, this is a compounding influence of these of these disciplines or practices. We, we study a passage. We study the nature of God, not the passage for itself, but to know more about the nature of God and life. And then we're meditating on that, stewing on that. Prayer is the acknowledgement that what you were saying is the acknowledgement that I can't do this without a supernatural intervention. The nature of prayer is not just like praying something up, but a Perpetual conversation, right? Pray without ceasing means as I'm meditating on this, I'm realizing the odds are tremendously out of my favor, and this is a stronghold that can only be defeated by your spirit's involvement in this in this meditation process, right? I mean Moses, he's got a lot of Egyptians to kill, right? He's, and and ten and ten false gods. Him praying is saying, this is bigger than me. This is a stronghold that only God can defeat. And so, study meditation prayer is saying, come on, let's talk. You know, it's not just me thinking differently, but me depending upon a spiritual event to renew my mind. I love, I love the idea of submission to a, a power that is only, only God can do. And then the last uh, attribute or discipline or practice is fellowship. Fellowship. You are a product of, you know, what you read and the people you spend time with. That's a little simplistic, but look at the very next verse. After that list of really wonderful attributes of things we should spend time thinking about, he says this in verse 9, the very next verse. Whatever you've learned or received or heard from me or seen in me, put those into practice, and the God of peace will be with you, and the God of peace will be with you. Paul says this, look, here's these things that you need to meditate on to know what these words mean, study those things, pray about, but let's spend time together. Let's hang out together. And look what he says. He's the gold standard, but he's saying, if this is a relational thing, whatever you've learned from me, received from me, heard from me, practice those. Just, just practice those things, and then the God of peace will be with you. Paul assumes relationships is where we rub off on each other, and in the, in the context What we're talking about here is spiritual and uh, intellectual renewal. Yeah, and I would add to that
1: I'm always struck by that verse about iron sharpening iron, right? Um, What is counseling? Counseling, whether the client knows it or not, is them getting into a relationship with somebody whose job it is to sharpen them. Now, that's a painful process, and I can tell you from experience, sometimes clients do not like you sharpening them, right? Because sometimes you have to speak the truth in love, and, you know, that, mo- that line in A Few Good Men, you can't handle the truth. It can be pretty dicey, but the bottom line is, if somebody really loves you, they're not going to blow smoke in your ear, okay? Okay? They're not going to condemn you or shame you, but they are going to be honest with you about, hey, I think this is the actual truth of why you're doing that or why you're not repenting of that. So the point is relationships are meant to be iron sharpening iron realities that help us to become more like Christ. And uh, that's why Lone Ranger approaches to growing in Christ are, are pretty much dead in the water.
0: Great. Chris, thank you very much for joining us today. Thank you, so much. writing sir. that book. Appreciate it. Well, uh, I don't know if you, if you connected some of the, the logic of what we were saying today, that, that if we believe lies, and we do, and the more we believe and the deeper we believe them, the more difficult we have in relationships, and relationships are part of the way out. So there is kind of a, oh, no, it gets worse and worse, or it could get better and better. And the way our church is modeled is what we call relational discipleship. We want to be a church that understands that a lot of people have been le- believing lies deeply for a long time, and they're not very good at relationships. And so we're going to help train in relational skills, but also be patient while that training goes on. The first step, the first step is your relationship with God. And that comes only as a gift from Jesus Christ. If you want to know more about having a relationship with God through Jesus Christ as a gift, there's a bulletin. It's in bold. Just put your name and contact information. Check that box. Put it in the plate. We'll have someone uh, call you, and let's, let's talk about that relationship. And then over the years, over the, as weeks go by, we'll talk more and more about how to transform our mind. The next three weeks, we're going to look at Bible passages that talk to us about transforming the way we think, renewing our minds, brainwashing, and not only just talk about it, we'll learn skills and how to do that more effectively, how to m- markedly improve our relationship with God, with others, and with ourselves. I'd like you to join us. We'll see you next week for that, okay? Let me pray, and then we'll, we'll have another song of worship and see if maybe the Lord is calling you. Lord, we ask that your spirit would tug on us, even as we speak this very moment, to, to identify a lie that we might have been holding on to, a lie that used to work but not so much now. And we've, we're realizing now that it is not just an affront to pragmatism, but it is an assault on who you are or the way you view us. So, Lord, I'd ask that your spirit would speak to us so that we might know a lie, so that we might enjoy the truth and be changed, transformed, made new. Lord, we're grateful for your spirit and the power of your spirit that allows us to overcome and to over, overpower the, the lies that we believe. Lord, help us become a church that transforms people by the renewing of their minds. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.